0: Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Frank Caraway. And Lisa Page. What's
1: up, guys? This is Joseph Benavides, UFC flyweight.
2: Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to it's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun.
0: Get it like MMA, but amazing.
2: Amazing radio.
3: Welcome to It's an Amazing Radio. I am your host, Dr. Law. With me, as always, DJ Mark. So Also with me, Kid Presentable. Gang's all here. And finally, Stefan Not Bearing the Lead. With me this week, Lavender Gooms. Hey, guys. Uh, first off, there was no show last week. That didn't mean we didn't record a show. It just means that despite us doing this 360 times uh shit went bad and uh stuff happens stuff happens um and uh i don't sound like this because of that um so we're gonna start off this podcast talking about kobe bryant and i know some of you aren't basketball fans necessarily but i'm sure you're aware of who he is and maybe some of you just aren't comfortable talking about like death and stuff but quite frankly we've been all over the place in this podcast talking about a lot of things but if it really does like something you don't want to listen to or something i don't know man tough shit We're talking about it. You know, hit fast forward till you stop us saying the word Kobe. Um, So uh, somehow you avoid it. You missed the news. Yesterday morning, um, a helicopter left uh, John Wayne Airport in Irvine carrying Kobe Bryant, his 13-year-old daughter, a bunch of other um, – Seven other passengers. Seven other passengers, including the pilot, including – gentleman who's the uh head co- one of the coaches at Orange County City College baseball team kind of a JUCO legend The gentleman forgot his name apologize uh, a couple of his daughters teammates uh, another um t- uh, basketball coach also um plane was headed for Thousand Oaks which people who know uh, Los Angeles geography it's not that far but LA traffic being what it is uh Kobe had come to travel by helicopter a lot and unfortunately um there's some sort of Um, They're not sure yet what happened. But the plane crashed into the side of a mountain in uh, Calabasas, which you all probably watch enough reality TV know where Calabasas is at this point. Um, So um, it was, to say the least, shocking. And we're all kind of reeling from this, all of us to different degrees. Um, We're all, most, I mean, Mark isn't, but three of us are pretty big basketball fans. And me and Stefan being, you know, growing up in the Bay Area – a lot of people, you know, I saw a lot of Lakers growing up. And uh beyond that, um, this man was basically Michael Jordan to us, to our generation. You know, I'm 33 years old, turning 34 in a week or so. Kobe came and got drafted, I want to say, in 96, guys. You know, 96. I was 10 years old. Kobe, I spent my teenage years, Kobe Bryant being the best basketball player in the world, just tormenting my team. You know, my team wasn't good. Just, but those four times a year, Kobe would just, you know, destroy us, and we were just watching a maestro at work. And this is going to be kind of all over the place. This conversation, and it's um, it's kind of hard to like narrow it at all. But it's just, you know, it was a giant, like a cultural giant, went uh, and passed away yesterday, and that was rough. And the fact that there was children on the plane. Makes it, honestly, so much worse. And uh my little brother called me to tell me the news, and he had to say it, like, three times, because I didn't, I wasn't comprehending it, because we were talking about it before the show started, where, like, you have an expectation, like, almost, of what the news you're going to hear in a day. And sometimes things surprise you a little bit. You know, <laughs> this happens, that happens. But when something happens that isn't even, like, in the realm of possibility in your head, like... Kobe Bryant dies in a helicopter crash is something that, like, I couldn't even consider the first couple times he said it to me. And I told the guys, I don't know if Steph, you'd heard yet already, but I put it in the group chat. I know I put it in the group chat I have with Mike and the New York and our New York friends, and uh, you guys were all at a bar. And I kind of broke the news to all of you, I know. And that was, it was just surreal. Um, like, my parents, my mom's not a basketball fan at all, but everybody knows who Kobe Bryant is, like, she was just crushed, my dad, like, and it was on every channel, you know, it was like, it was a global icon passed away, and it just made you think, like, you know, it doesn't matter how successful you are, or how, like, you know, how how blessed you are in this life to have, you know, to be rich, or, you know, famous, or all those things, and Life isn't fair, man, and sometimes, you know, horrible things happen, and you just got to tell the people around you how much you love them because you don't know. Um, Steph, what do you, uh, I mean, we talked a little bit yesterday about this, but this was just some terrible news, man.
2: Um, yeah, this one hit me really, really hard. Um, you know, like, it's stupid, like the top big celebrity deaths of my life, you know, but it he, he's right up there um, in terms of just, like, kind of how it made me feel, you know, and that's selfish, right? But when we talk about these icons, it is kind of about the impact they left their legacy and how they affected people they didn't know. And that's kind of the beauty of what they contributed. Um, I've been in a funk for like two days now. Um, I found myself tearing up a couple times at work, just thinking about it, like all day yesterday, you know, when I was reading it in the morning, I was like, I got to step outside. So I walked over to like a breakfast diner, um sat down at the like kind of the counter by myself and as i looked around it was the same um senior citizens young teenagers um parents with their families everyone was looking at their phone um i heard it in english i heard in spanish um kobe kobe you know everyone everyone was talking about it. it just he he was a cultural icon um and he was so much more like he's so like you know, I'm probably be all over the place, like you mentioned, Bob. But like, I feel like it warrants it. You know, um, I uh, an older uh gentleman that was. at I me, mean, he said, like, he said, you know, you 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 know, you're probably too young. But like, this is like a John Lennon moment. This is like a people remember where they were Absolutely. when they read this news. When when they read this news, um, because because he was that. He he. We saw this man's whole life. Um. For the you know for the people who aren't necessarily the sports fans, um, you know I I'm old enough to have seen Jordan, but by the time I saw him, he was kind of a mythic figure. Um, for Jordan's generation, it was Wilt Chamberlain, or not Wilt Chamberlain, uh, Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Um, before that, it was Wilt, Bill Russell. Um, generations have trouble fully comprehending the greatness of the generation before them because they just weren't there for all of it. But Kobe was that guy. Um, my family's all from Chicago, so I was born into this indoctrinated Jordan family. Um, but to me, yeah, he was this great player, and he gave me Space Jam. That was his big, biggest contribution to my childhood. But Kobe was the kid who came out of high school when people weren't really coming out of high school. And those that were, they were forwards. They were centers. They were big men. No one saw a perimeter guard coming out of high school. That was unheard of. Um, but here he was, this cocky, brash kid got voted to the All-Star game. Uh, Hall of Famer Carl Malone sets a pick for him. Kobe Bryant waves it off, and he shoots an air ball. Like, terrible shot, garbage miss, but man, did I love the cockiness of this high school kid. You know, like, when you're 10 years old, that captures your imagination, so you just kind of rode with this guy. Um, But it's, you know, fast forwarding, it's so much more than that he was just a good player. He was really one of a kind, like... What I'm so thankful for are the people who are kind of reminiscent, They talk about how smart he was. And that's something I always admired. Like, you know, being nerdy is cool now. Being well-read is, like, an admirable quality now. It was tough growing up. This man spoke, like, three, four languages. He's fluent in Italian. He's fluent in Spanish. You know, he grew up abroad, like... He was this kind of unique thing. Stefan, real quick, I don't want to miss this thing because you mentioned how
3: smart he is because everybody listening to this probably has the ESPN Plus subscription. Yeah. D- detail, which we've talked about detail, the Daniel Cormier version, which Kobe personally hired Daniel Cormier to do the MMA version. Watch some of the episodes of Kobe Bryant detail if you're any sort of basketball fan. And the way he breaks down film is some of the most incredible things. Like, he's a basketball genius, Stefan. Like, you yeah, absolutely. nailed the basketball genius.
2: Um, yeah, and, you know, that was going to kind of lead to one of my points is, um, you know, I heard another reporter say, and I thought it was very poignant. Um, Kobe Bryant is also, you know, for as great things as he did to be one of the top 10 best basketball players that ever lived. Who cares about where he falls on that totem? He, he gets to be in that discussion, and that's enough, right? Um, but one thing that was pointed out uh, very poignantly to me was, what's one thing we talk about with a lot of athletes who retire too late. They break down because it's all they have. You know, MMA has so many cautionary tales. You know, most prominently, BJ Penn. Look at these people who didn't know what to do once their primary career, this passion that they have sought all this time into. They didn't know what to do. A lot of athletes, basketball players especially, they become these talking heads on ESPN because it's all they can do, right? It's all they know how to do. Kobe Bryant won an Oscar last year with his entertainment company, that he started like this was a man who set up his second act and he was doing it with flying colors. You know, he was doing these entertainment avenues. He was investing in so many things. It's a man who was not bored in retirement. Like, you know, it's very possible. He was going to do so many greater things in his second act than he did as a player. And that's, that's, that's an amazing thing, you know, that we potentially lost, you know, um, like you, you mentioned the kids. That angle is a thirteen-year-old. His, uh, mid, I mean, he has four daughters now. But I was gonna say the middle daughter, but you know, it was so cute how much she looked up to him, and you know, um, a little basketball prodigy. It's to his kids, to pe, to people, to our generation. The the man was a goddamn inspiration. I told you, you know, Bob, when I was, you know, we were in middle school. I used to go to the park every day, and I would try to. Take a jump shot the way Kobe did. I tried to use his form. Like like you said, there's the whole generation of stars in the NBA right now. This was their guy they looked up to. Yeah, Jordan. Yeah, Jordan. But we all looked up to Kobe. We all wanted to. I mean, if
3: you watched any of the games or tried to watch these poor guys play yesterday, you just saw a bunch of broken people, man. And it's like so many of them, like, they all love LeBron. And it's going to be the next generation where LeBron's their guy, really. And you saw LeBron. If Everybody saw that clip of LeBron getting off the plane, getting the news. And like, like, that was their superhero, man. He was, it's like become, at a certain point, like, the idea of you becomes bigger than who you are as a person. And the idea of Kobe Bryant was massive. And like, you can go anywhere in the world. And they know who Kobe Bryant is. Same way Michael Jordan was. Same way like Muhammad Ali was. You reach a level of greatness. And that's the universality of sports. And I got, like, people we – we were people visiting my parents' house last night who were just not from this country, and they know exactly who fucking Kobe Bryant is. Everybody knows exactly who Kobe Bryant is, and it's just, you know – It was – you know, Mike, I wanted to get your thoughts on this before we just go off in random stories, but I know you're a big Kobe fan, actually. and we uh, always, yeah. And, like, you know, for being a Knicks fan and all that, you still, like – Kobe games, man. That was your guy. I know. You always told me. That was like your favorite player to watch.
0: <laughs> outside of, and honestly, this is just more because he was a Knick. Um, Allen Houston? Outside of Allen Houston, my favorite player was Kobe Bryant. And um, people have asked me before, because while Kobe was on the Lakers, I, the Lakers were my secondary team. And considering how bad the Knicks always were, well, I it was a good thing I had a secondary team. But um, I've told this story a lot. But uh, what made me become a a Kobe fan was during his uh, I think it was a nine game stretch when he was scoring fifty plus points. Uh, I think back in like two thousand three or two thousand four. Uh, I think like game three or four was against the Knicks in the Garden, and um, I still remember the exact play that. I got up out of my seat wherever I was at, at home and just like started like yelling because uh, Latrell Sprewell was guarding him and um and Sprewell forced him to, you know, drive through the baseline and Kobe had nowhere to go. He had nowhere to go when he went up in the air and I thought, oh, oh he's just going to jump out of bounds. He has nowhere to go. And somehow he was able to just get down a reverse dunk that just had me out of my seat and from that moment on i I was a kobe fan um (laughs) and i remember in uh in in college i lived with uh uh, my roommate emmanuel and as much as i loved kobe what's funny is that he was a bigger kobe fan than me and just for devil's advocate a lot of times i would just needle him and say well obviously lebron james is better and Every single time I did that, he would always get up in arms and just start yelling at me. And this man was 200 pounds, solid muscle. So it was always funny to, and a little scary to see him uh, start arguing with me about Kobe. But, um, you know, when it comes to legends and greats such as this, normally, and this is in music and sports and, and whatever these types of fields, normally they pass you know many years later 70s 80s when while they're still giants of whatever field they're in you know maybe some of their relevance has gone by or at the very least they pass at an age where you're like it's more of a celebration of their life um you know for example like johnny kasha uh, um comes to mind or I, I can't think of a of a sports star um of that ilk but you don't normally see someone of Kobe's stature just just get taken from you this early on. I mean, I wanted to see Kobe do so much more. I mean, it was in the last 5 to 10 years of, you know, Kobe's career and, you know, his post retirement. He just he became so much more open, so much looser, and I remember My, watching his sorry,
3: yeah. I was going to say weren't you aren't you it was so ready for him to be like the Bill Russell of the NBA in like 20 years and just be like the Oracle of the league. You know what I mean? And just like be the guy who like you bring him in to give legitimacy to whatever's going on. You know what I mean? I was so ready for that with him. Like he seemed like that guy. Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, it's fine. Um, Honestly, uh, not so long ago, I was thinking that his trajectory, I mean him, I was thinking him and possibly LeBron, they, might one day be NBA owners. Um I never saw Kobe as possibly being a coach, but I did see him at some point maybe having some type of ownership stake in a team. Um because Kobe's Kobe's too good just to be a coach. You know, Kobe's gotta be an owner, you know? Um and I mean Yeah, I mean sense. similar similar to you stuff. Um and honestly I've never like I've never been so emotional when a, when a celebrity dies. Um, normally, it's just like, man, that, that really sucks or oh, that, that's really fucked up. And I'll be like sad, but that's about it. But um, I found myself at various moments between yesterday and today, um, especially whenever I saw an Instagram a video, like especially with his daughter, because as that sad was as killing
3: it, me. That as one was sad
0: me. as it was that Kobe, we lost Kobe Bryant when I heard that one of his daughters was on the plane as well, the first sound I made was just, no, please tell me no. That because was... I, I don't have any kids. Um, none of us have any kids here. Um, I've got a shit ton of nephews and nieces. Um, and if any of them died, I i don't know what i would do
3: i just you gotta feel for um for kobe's late uh, kobe's wife um his widow vanessa they got a newborn and two other kids and you know you can have all the money in the world man but you can't replace something like that and losing a child also um i just wanted to say uh there's a couple like kobe moments i'm never gonna forget and steph and i have talked about this one a lot and it was like oh four maybe, and it was after Shaq was gone, and Kobe um was firmly a villain at this point, and um he had an off the court incident, which I mean you can't dismiss, but like no one ever knows what's going what happened there. But anyway, there was um a moment, Steph, you definitely remember, we've talked about this, where I want to say Mike Miller came down the came down the lane, and Kobe elbowed the shit out of Mike Miller. And then after the game, Steph, what do you say? Something like, people think this is LA and Hollywood and they can just come dancing down the lane and people need to learn. We don't put up with that. And i am like, I never liked Kobe Bryant more in my life than in that moment where that dude was just like, nah, man, fuck you. <laughs> Get out of my lane. And um that was one that stuck out. And we were, um, Warrior fans know this. When I say Warrior fans, those of you who didn't show up in the last five years, where, you know, we were bad for years, and we had a guy, Anton Jameson, who had back-to-back 50-point games, and there was a game in 2000, in, it was December 6, 2000, and Kobe and, you know, Jamison and, Anton Jameson and Kobe Bryant both scored 51 points, and I don't remember, I mean, and I just remember thinking, like, man, Kobe, let us have this. Like, let us get this, man. Let us get this win, and we did win, but this man did... It was, I think the game ended on Kobe like having a three go in and out. And Steph, those are the two with Kobe that just like, man, like just, I'd never seen somebody, you can say a lot of things about them, but I've never seen a man attack the idea of being the best more than Kobe Bryant. Because I remember Shaq said something a couple of years ago about how Kobe famously in his first, I want to say it was his first, maybe not his first playoff series, but it was the first playoffs he was in. And they went down to the Jazz, the Lakers, and it was 90, probably 98, you know, the year that um, Jazz went to the finals again. And they're in the deciding, they're in like the deciding game and the Lakers are going to get eliminated. And Kobe's shooting air balls in the fourth quarter. And Shaq said something, this was like a year or so ago. And he said, I was never angry at Kobe about the air balls because you know what? Nobody else wanted to shoot and the man was never scared
2: i mean uh, bob if that's what you want to say i feel like you're quoting the wrong iteration of that line Uh um the best version of that same point Uh was from kobe himself uh Uh, in the year he won mvp Uh and uh he's like he's like yeah i won mvp with uh smush parker as my teammate is like, what am I supposed to do? Let him shoot. Like, <laughs> you know, he's, like, he's like, he's like, okay, you know, it's either I could take a shot on three guys, or I could pass the ball to Smush Parker during my MVP season. Remember, he scored eighty one taking that shot.
3: What he? he scored eighty one, right? And like in the modern NBA, scoring that many points as a guard is absurd. Yeah, I know, the, I know the
2: Raptors were trash, but geez, eighty one. Okay, oh I mean I just love it. Like like Mike, you know, Kobe was this favorite secondary player. He he was he's one of my all-time favorite players, but as a Warrior fan, he's my favorite enemy. Oh or, yeah. You know, he was just my favorite enemy. Like uh I think uh um fuck uh Spike Lee, you know, like Reggie Reggie Miller was probably one of his favorite enemies. He loved to hate him, but I'm sure as hell you respected him. And I felt that way often about Kobe, you know. Um I used to play in like a big fantasy basketball league, very, very big money um you know my brother his friends all ran it it was like 150 fifty dollar buy-in so it'd be a big pot at the end of this thing um i'd never had a chance to draft kobe until one year and it was the year i finally won the league and it was that year it was the year mm-hmm. kobe decided i'm gonna go on this 40 point scoring streak for like, like fuck all of you like, i'm going for it <laughs> and then it culminated with him going for 81 <laughs> and then just like this is the first time I've ever gonna win this fantasy league, and I'm like, yeah, ball hog, hero ball, baby. Who else? Take all the That's- shots, Kobe. Take all the shots. Like, it was so fun to cheer for him. Like, cause yeah, the Warriors sucked, you know. You're- Dude, we had to root for the Kings. We had to root for Chris Webber one year, just to like we wanted the Lakers
3: to lose that badly.
2: When you like- cheer for a really shitty, te- when your team is a really shitty team, you also embrace a good team because you yeah. have to have a taste of success. You mm-hmm. got to know what victory tastes like a little bit, you know, even if it's a secondary thing. Yeah, uh Kobe just he was must see TV. Like you had to watch him. It it was the closest it was the closest proximity to Jordan we've ever gotten and we ever will get again.
3: And like, you know what? I'll say it again. Being king of LA, man. Like we also live in an area where it's a lot of teams and some sports have multiple teams. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we got a king right now. And it's like, I mean, it's Steph Curry. And my dad tells me, like, you know, it's rare to have a king in the, like, in the Bay Area. And in L.A., there was – Shaq wasn't the king. Magic Johnson was the king of L.A. And there was not a king until Kobe Bryant. And Kobe Bryant ran L.A. for 20 I mean, years.
2: It it was shit-talking directed at Paul Pierce. But mm. I think just as a standalone quote, it, 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 it'll stand the test of time. Mm. And that was our Draymond Green yelling at Paul Pierce. They don't love you like Kobe. They don't love you like Kobe. Kobe was a unique... Yeah, you know, if
3: you know anybody who lives in L.A., you talk to them who tried to walk around town yesterday, like, it was like... I mean, the most comparable thing you can give it to is when Magic John They announced Magic Johnson had AIDS, where people just didn't know what to do. Like, he was in Los Angeles. And, and
0: consider that at that time, and Magic Johnson made that announcement, I mean, people thought that was a death sentence. This incident. is it, so and it like this was that. Very comparable.
3: I mean, the man... Just, I mean, there's nothing much else we can say. Do you guys want to say anything else before we talk about
0: um, fights? Yeah, actually, uh, I do. It's obviously not one of one of not one of my stories because I didn't play in the NBA. Mm. But um, one of the favorite stories, and this was even before you know Kobe passed. But you know, obviously, in the last year or two, a lot of uh, former teammates of Kobe's would start telling you know just you know Kobe Bryant stories. And uh, this one comes from uh, Lou Williams, you know, the man who uh, they should rename the Six Man of the Year award for. But um, it was during their time when uh, he was playing with uh, Kobe in LA. And he talked about how they were getting blown out um, in the first half of the game. And they go into the half, and Kobe doesn't say anything at first. And he just addresses the team and says, all right, in this in this second half, every time down the floor, I get the ball. You guys are gonna find out what it's like to play with Kobe being
3: fucking Bryant today. <laughs> um, did you guys oh, ever see?
2: I, I, oh, sorry, quick, Bob.
3: did you ever see the thing where like uh, he was on the Kimmel show, and this was when he was out with the Achilles injury, and the Lakers sucked, and they just won the night before. And, like, they snapped, like, a 13-game ro- a losing streak. And, like, Kimmel is showing the post-game interview where Mike goes, I'm going with this, where, like, they're, like, talking to some of the players and they're all, like, you know, they're all happy. Like, Jordan Hill's there and, like, Smush Parker, And they're like, yeah, man, it's right. We got that W. And then, like, the look on Kobe's face looked like he was ready to kill these people. Like, these fucking kids. I'm going to get back to practice and I'm just going to make them run sprints like I'm the goddamn coach. Like... What do you do in celebrating one win? We're terrible. Anyway, Steph, go ahead.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, I know we're kind of coming to close on this, so I kind of just wanted to end on something poignant. Um, about Kobe, it's one of the things. It's why he's one of my favorites. Um, it's why he's more than just a sports figure. Um, and I, it's kind of a little bit of a preachy message. If we have any, you know, younger listeners, um, we live in the era of the cancel culture. You know, people make a mistake, and everyone's ready to pounce on them but now that we've seen his whole story arc and it's fucking t- so sad to say that. Cause it it's, man was 41. It was way too early. Um, but we've seen his story now start to end. Um, Kobe has always been a testament to change to growth. Um, you know, we, we live in a very punishing society right now. And it's like, if you give up on people's capacity to change, grow and get better, like, we're fucking doomed as a people, you know. Kobe came in as the brash, cocky kid. He 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 turned into a, a, a hero for his talent. Then he turned into a villain for his uh, Denver trial scandal, you know. Um, and then he turned into a mentor and an ambassador. And most of important in all, you talk to anybody who's known Kobe in the last four or five years, the first thing they'll say about him is how much he dedicated himself to being a father. How all he talked about were his daughters and it was fucking beautiful. And I admire him so much for it. Like, you know, like family means a lot to me. And you know, he, he, he was all these things. He wasn't one thing. He was all these things. I mean, he'd be the first one to say it. We're all angels. We're all devils. You know, we're, we're all of it. And the man just had so many lessons that, you know, um, people are saying it everywhere right now right mamba mentality it's 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 a it's a thing to strive by it's a thing to live by um and yeah i'm so saddened we're not gonna get more from him but if all we have left is what he's given us um there's a lot of great things and better ways we can live our own lives um
0: Um, one just one last thing uh, one time I almost broke down at work today is, um, I don't know if you guys remember it after he won his, uh, fourth championship, you know, with Trevor Reza and, and that group against uh, the magic Lil Wayne released a song called Kobe Bryant right after the last, uh, the game and man, I hadn't heard it probably since we were in law school and I almost fucking broke down at work hearing that song.
3: It was a rough day. Um, all right, guys, um, we're going to try to talk a little bit about fights and then we're going to, um, we're going to make fun of Stephen A. Smith a little bit later because it'll be fun and a nice palate cleanser too, quite frankly. But, um, there were fights this past weekend. Um,
1: ESPN I, plus baby
3: ESPN plus and guys, I like, literally, I went to like turn them on and I'm like looking and all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, Oh, it over. I did not know they were going to be this early. So I had to kind of play a bit of catch up.
2: Um It kind of reminds me of those old uh was it fight pass cards, mm-hmm. right? When you're not beholden to commercial breaks and air slots, you just can't kind of keep it rolling. You just
3: keep yeah, it rolling. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm a big ESPN plus fan. I think it's actually pretty good. I mean, the fact that they put a pay per views behind a five dollar paywall is a level of bullshit, which is nonsense, but that's a different conversation. Marcus Curtis Blades advance to thirteen and engano. Man's got 13 wins, two losses to Francis Ngannou. What did we learn from him uh this past weekend against JDS?
1: Yeah, it was a, a pretty compelling fight. Uh, you know, we've gotten to kind of know Curtis Blades best as a wrestler type style uh fighter who, you know, it, it does a pretty good job at getting guys down and can really do some work uh from the top position. Uh I think, you know, we we broke down this fight very quickly last week. I don't think we really gave much analysis, but you know, you would think maybe on the feet junior would have the edge. But um, you know, Curtis Blades Did a really good job uh, using nice straight punches uh, to get in and out. Uh, What, you know, really what he struggled with and kind of what my big takeaway was, you know, he did not have good entries on his takedowns. Um, Juno DeSantos was able to defend all the takedowns that Curtis Blades threw at him. Uh, But luckily, you know, Blades' hands were quick enough. He's quick enough on the draw. He was able to capitalize on kind of a big mistake that Junior was making throughout this fight, which was loading up really heavy on these lead right uppercuts. Um, which is a really, you know, one of Junior DeSantis' most powerful punches, but and he's gotten away using it as a lead punch, but the way he winds it up, he definitely leaves himself open, and Blades was able to capitalize on that, where basically he was able to counter his uppercut with a nice kind of overhand right, which really cracked Junior, um, you know, didn't put him out, but did enough to let Curtis Blades follow up and finish the fight, and this was a really big win for Blades, you know, who's been kind of circling the... Uh, title contention uh, path for a while, you know. Like you mentioned, Bobby, his two losses to Nagano have kind of been the roadblock stopping him from getting a title fight. Um, if he can somehow wait until Nagano gets a shot and loses or something, I think he has. Yeah, hasn't I mean, we got any, a you know, we got, we got a Nagano versus Biggie Boy coming up, so the whole division
3: is in a bit of a holding pattern, Marcus, because we got a champion who had an eye injury, and then um, we kind of all expect DC and Stipe to go back, run it back a third time. And I don't know if Stipe's fucking with DC because DC made him wait through all that Brock bullshit before he got his rematch. But now Stipe's saying stuff like, oh, maybe I want to fight somebody new. And Cormier's like, do the honorable thing. And I'm like, DC, you don't have a leg to stand on here. Um, it's kind of hard to like see what this fight means for Curtis when like it's almost like he just didn't lose position from where he was.
1: Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 it, it's a good, you know, I think something we've been critical of of Curtis is not getting, you know, some finishes. I mean, for a while, we were kind of throwing him in like he's kind of a boring fighter aspect. Now he's had some really flashy finishes. I think, you know, the fight with Overeem wasn't the most exciting throughout, but he finished it with fireworks, and he finished this fight with fireworks. And I think, you know, while I agree with you, Bobby, like... It's tough because there's a couple guys that are going to easily jump him in line. Like you mentioned, DC. If Jones makes a push to go to heavyweight, I think he can get that title shot kind of whenever he wants just because of his past, you know, what he's done in the past. And Curtis Blades could easily get looked up over. And I think these losses to Nagano kind of always put Nagano kind of ahead of him as well. So it, it kind of sucks that he does have some roadblocks ahead of him. But yeah, he needs he needs to be active. He needs to continue to get wins, which is exactly what he did here. And he got another highlight for the real. So, I mean, this is really a win-win for him. It, I agree with you. It might be a little bit of a holding pattern because we don't know who's getting the next title shot. But he's in that conversation, I think, now more than ever. Um, I, I do think those Nagano losses do kind of hurt um, because Nugano, it's, it's always going to be a, a red mark on him, right? As long, as long as Nugano hasn't gotten a shot yet it or, or another shot. And they, and they weren't
3: particularly close either. You no, know I mean?
1: he, he kind of got, he got handled in those fights, you know, and maybe they need to run that back a third time, but it's hard when you've lost the guy twice. So he's in a little bit of a tough position there, but you know, he needed this win And he needed to show that, you know, when plan B doesn't go according to plan, he has other skill sets to fall back on that he can win. And I think outboxing Juno de Santos is kind of a a big feather in the cap for him. So I think, you know, there's a lot of positives to take away, even though the title still might be a little ways away. um, He's got to do what he has to do. And that's to get impressive wins, which he did last Saturday.
3: Uh, Stefan. Um,
2: I mean, real quick on Blades, you know, Bark uh, mentioned his boring reputation. Um, one thing I will say that he gets a 10 out of 10 for in being memorable and likable in my eyes. Um, it is a trip down to our my long since dead segment, uh, mostly just because I was too lazy to ever really follow up on it. And that's the walkout music review. Um, the man has decided it's it's three fights now, so I can say he's decided on it. Uh, he uses that Mortal Kombat theme as his music. So yeah, that's um, Such an easy way for me to like you, so uh, tip of the hat, Curtis Blades. Steph, um, Michael
3: Chiesa is somebody that I think I know I've been pretty critical of, and I think you've been with me with most of these two, where he kind of doesn't get it done when it comes to big fights. And um, you know what? The man got a top five win here. He actually got it, and it's like most of the people coming out of it are red. We're just like, how the hell did Michael Chiesa
2: ever make 155? Because he is huge. I and, mean, that, uh, that was definitely a big takeaway in this fight. Uh, I mean,
3: people miss he beat uh, Rafael Dos Anjos, which he and himself didn't. never got a lot of credit. I mean, the man was a fucking champion. But here we are now, and, like, Dos Anos doesn't lose to bums. And uh, Chiesa, what, took two rounds from him, looks like.
2: Yeah. Um, I, it Possibly looked, three? It, it seemed pretty one. I mean, even then, like... It's it was pretty one sided to me. Like I kind of started zoning out on it. Um but you know, biggest win of Chase's career. He looked huge. I don't know if I don't know if because Dosanios isn't necessarily a big welterweight, but uh he looked massive kind of next to him. Um I wouldn't say I'm necessarily critical of Chiesa. It's 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 tough to know what to make of that guy. Um he's in that lineage of a Kenny Florian, a Matt Brown. Um they're not particularly exceptional anywhere they're definitely not you know uh top tier athletes but like they're just pretty damn good across the board like he's got solid boxing he's got solid grappling i mean he, he has above average grappling uh, i'll be honest he, he can't always assert it though is kind of one of his problems you know
3: what it is man i've uh, maybe it's me but i've always felt like when he would lose he'd come up with an excuse and then i'd always felt like nah, man you lost because you made a b and c mistakes and you're not addressing it almost it felt like you know it what i mean might be
2: mistakes or it might just be he's not capable of it right he's mm. one of like i all that was to say he's one of those maximum effort guys where he's gonna get a uh, brief little
3: snafu right there steph you were talking about kiesa and maximum effort
2: <laughs> uh yeah so i'm um, kind of just trying to pick back that up um he's just one of those guys who he's he, he maximizes his his talent the best he can Right, he he's not one of the the plus athletes as they call them. So you you never really know. You can't be sure if this guy's going to get over the hill. But you know um, whether Dos Anjos is a small welterweight, whether he's getting kind of towards the end of his run. Um, that remains to be seen, but it's definitely Kesa's biggest win. um You know, I, I evoke a guy like Dustin Poirier, right? Just a uh, kind of division below, where like he he looks really good sometimes, right? It looks like oh maybe if he puts this together, uh, is he ever going to make it? And then you kind of think oh maybe he's just not good enough. But we just saw, you know, he didn't defend that title, but he had the run mm-hmm. of his career, right? He he technically was an interim champion, so that's kind of where I lump Kesa in. Um, you know, he sees himself as that, right? Uh, if you saw his post-fight, he called out uh, Colby Covington. Yeah, sort of- that's what
3: I wanted to see, Mike. Um, he called out the man who can't talk right now. Um, he called out Kobe Co- Colby Covington. We're coming off of him beating Diego Sanchez. Him, uh, I mean, we're talking about coming off of, Chiesa. I mean, beating Diego Sanchez, beating Carlos Condit, and now beating Rafael Dos Anjos. What do you think, man? you think that's a good matchup to see where he's at, or do you think that's a bit too much, you know, biting a little bit more the, you know off than he can handle? What's your opinion?
0: Uh, I think it's biting too much for him to handle from an MMA perspective, but I think for Kiasa's career, I think it's a it's a good call-out for him. I mean, um, I don't
3: think it's impossible that he wins, but it just, I mean, I might agree with you that I think this might be a lot. Like, the way, uh, Covington's a good fighter, man. Covington just keeps coming, too. That pace he puts yeah, I mean, on, guys. For,
0: for uh, oh hello mm. you something just fell something just fell mm. um yeah for as much as uh you know bobby and uh steph hate covington um he's a really good fighter and uh um, you
3: don't hate him also what do you mean were you on the board of this thing you were laughing your ass off when this man got his jaw broke
0: well yeah i mean is he an asshole sure but i don't hate him you know i understand what he is he's a dick
3: mike accepting of homophobes and racists well, let's not go that far. Let's not throw
0: that energy out there, please, Bobby. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. But for uh, for Kiesa, I, th- I think it's a good matchup. Um, you know, Covington's just com- coming off of a loss as well, so um, it's not like he's going to be getting a title shot anytime soon. And Kiesa's on a roll. Um, I would be interested in seeing this fight. I mean, know, he, super he, good
3: he wasn't ranked. He better be ranked now. I mean, then again, it's the UFC ranking, so we don't know what the hell was going on anyway. Um, Marcus, um, there were some fights in Bellator, and I know he didn't watch it necessarily, but um, Cyborg became a bit of a Grand Slam champion, I guess. Having won championships in uh, Bellator, now Strikeforce, the UFC, and... Um, Invicta. Uh, there it is, sorry. Um, at 145 pounds, four different companies, four different, you know, championships. Um, Scott Coker, of all people, was critical of the UFC's building, of UFC being not interested in building a 145-pound division and only being interested in the Cyborg business. And, I mean, this is Scott Coker saying this, so wow. But um, much of this fight, they kept showing Marlos Kunin in the crowd, who Cyborg has beaten twice. I mean, what do we go from here, man? I mean, they signed Kat Zingano. They signed Liz Carmouche. Do either of those girls, you think, have any business fighting somebody as big as Cyborg?
1: Uh, Maybe Kat would, would be kind of compelling. I mean, I think the difficulty with Cyborg hasn't really changed much, whether she was in the UFC or not, right? When she went to the UFC... They didn't really build much of a 145 division. They had a handful of girls, and they are like, well, this is enough to get Cyborg in here, who's a big star, to get some fights in. Let's see if we can make some money off of this. And obviously, Amanda Nunes kind of came in and shook things up and honestly, I think, just made her a bigger star. And once that happened, they didn't really know what to do with Cyborg anymore. right? They are like, well, I guess we could run this back. There's not really a lot of competition in the field. Cyborg did not seem very happy with UFC brass and how they were trying to manage her. So, you know, they parted ways, and you know, this is probably a very comfortable feeling for Cyborg to be kind of the big fish in a small pond again, and while, you know, it, it, to some fans, it could be kind of discouraging to be like, oh, you know, you finally got into the big show, we want to see you pushed and challenged, in and in, we finally found a competitor that can do that, and you switch leagues again, and now you're at Bellator, where it doesn't seem like they're going to have that kind of competition that's really going to be able to push her. Um, and and I, I tend to agree with that, but I also think if a fighter just isn't happy with where they're at, where you know the fights they're getting offered, the money they're getting offered, and they can get something better somewhere else, even if it is a scenario like this where you're kind of gonna be fighting in a smaller league where the competition, you know on paper isn't going to be as accelerated or seen as you know the top of the game. um you can if you can still make more money and have you know great performances and do what you want to do, I really don't besmirch that at all. Um, so I think this is a good this is a good move for her, you know. I think she's going to fight competition where she's going to be able to steamroll girls. Like I think she's very used and accustomed to. You know what's interesting, and, man? There's just there. I don't know where these 145 pound fighters are.
3: Like they may not just they may just don't exist yet. And I don't know. You know, we kind of saw more and more 135, 125, 115 women come up with the UFC building those divisions. And maybe that I mean, there's no Ultimate Fighter anymore. Not that it was ever much of anything, but. You kind of need regional MMA to start producing some 145-pound women, and Kayla Harrison's fighting in uh the PFL, but I think she's fighting at 155 even. I don't know if Kayla's even fighting at 145. And another thing is Cyborg Steph has been fighting. It's been a long fucking time. Like, we watched her beat up Jan Finney in 2010. Like, Cyborg's 34 years old, but she's been doing this on a national scale since 2008. Like at a certain point, she's just going to go away, and are we just not going to have 145 pounds? That's just not going to be a thing. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if there's going to be a division when this is all said and done.
2: It's it's tough, right? Um, There's not inherently a feeder into this weight class is the problem. Um, If you kind of use it as a base against like heavyweight men fighters, like, the really, really good ones, a lot of them were ex-wrestlers or football players and things who didn't pan out where there's like there's where this body type, like a fit version of it to be a professional fighter, there's not a lot of like things out there in terms of women. I mean, like, but, what's
3: going on in Invicta? There's,
2: there's just leftover women for this division.
3: Does anybody know if Invicta's got a featherweight champion, who it is, and like, what are we dealing with here? Like, I don't even know, like, if there's like Megan Anderson used to be out there, like Megan, sorry, Megan Anderson, and like, she's shown to maybe not be. I mean, she wasn't, she couldn't get Baz Holly home, but like, I'm looking right now at their 145 pound champion who's 6 2, and they list her weight class as 135, and she's the champion at 145. I don't, you
2: know what I mean? Like, I mean, based on who, like, other non cyborg champions or even fighters in this division are, can't, for the most part, almost all of them, we can say they're 135ers who just didn't cut. And that's why they made 145. Like, you know, like, 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 we all like Felicia Spencer, but like, she already took yeah. her
3: cyborg ass kicking.
2: There you know? it just isn't a natural feeder for this weight class in terms of those body types. But you know, I think that's something that we used to say that about
0: just the women's division in general. Uh, maybe about nine, ten years ago, where it's like, oh well, where are all the women going to come from? And I think it's just you got to give, um, you know, the one forty five division a few years. It'll likely happen when cyborg is past her prime, but. I guarantee you there are some women that are maybe 150, 160 pounds who are legit athletes and are thinking, you know what, I can get into MMA and they'll be the future of the 145-pound division. It's just that it's not going to be for like 5, 10 years, I think. The other issue
1: is, too, is that when you have a dominant competitor at a division like this, anyone that shows any promise, including Amanda Nunes when she first stepped in at 135, they're going to be like, Oh, are you ready to fight cyborg yet? Let, let's get you into, let's get you in the octagon with cyborg as quickly as possible. Cause she needs, you know, meat to chew on. And then if you're an up and comer, you know, Judica or a collegiate wrestler, it's going to be like, Yeah, I'm like three and oh, do I really want to jump into cyborg right now? Like I just learned how to do a right straight without falling over. You know, that, that's just, that's just part of the promotion It's just anytime there's anyone with any glimpse of like hope. They don't. there's The field isn't big enough to be like, okay, we're going to spend three years grooming this prospect and getting them, to, getting them the fights to build the skill set to get them prepared for a big fight like Cyborg. What's really going to happen is we're going to have you in two or three fights. If you float, you're going in the deep end with you know this monster who's been doing this for over a decade. You don't, and it, it, the division doesn't get chance to get built. So you're right, Bobby and, and Mike. I mean, once Cyborg eventually leaves the division, and there's other girls that are going to be able to fill it out. And people are going to be able to get, you know, fights that are of their skill level, not thrown in. Because, I mean, literally, I remember the first fight Amanda Nunes has. She was on the card with Cyborg. She got a knockout in the first round. They're like, you ready for Cyborg yet? And she was like, no.
3: Yeah, but, like, even, like, Amanda Nunes wasn't in this weight class, like, at all. And she beat her. It you was know, weird. Like, you know, Ronda showed up. And you can, like, draw a line to, like, and, like, they'll talk about it. Like, this: these little girls got inspired. Or, like, you know, you got a bunch of 22-year-olds in the UFC now who all saw Ronda fights five years ago. You know, because it's been a couple of years now When R- before Ronda showed up. You know, that was not, you know, that was like 2014, 2013 and shit when Ronda showed up. It's seven years now. And you got people like uh, Aspen Ladd, who's super young and stuff, who like will say they saw Ronda fight and they made her want to fight. And I don't know if Cyborg didn't have that or maybe because she wasn't in the UFC. But I don't see a lot of like, okay, this is this like 135, 145 pound woman who's like, I just don't know where they are. Where are these twenties? Where's the twenty-two year olds that are like young? And I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm, 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 maybe I'm not paying enough attention to Invicta. You know what I mean? Maybe they really exist. But it, like, I mean,
1: the, the reality is, is that it's always going to be hard to get a large field field of female athletes to get into competitive sports. There's just social stigmas. There is just so many things going against them that even if you see a Rhonda, let, let's say I'm a young athletic, eighteen year old. I play volleyball, softball, and track and field at my high school. And I see Rhonda, I'm like, damn, that's badass, she's a badass woman. This is like, well, okay, let's look at my options here. I'm I'm a collegiate athlete in high school and I'm playing at a fairly high level. I can get scholarships for volleyball and softball. There's just not, there's still no programs that are Facilitating combative sports for women. I mean, there is wrestling clubs, and they'll. I mean, look not when, when I wrestled in high school. There was a couple females that were on other teams, but they were few and far between. You can count them on. You can all. You can count them all on one hand. And let alone are these, you know, female athletes that are doing high school wrestling. Are they going to keep competing in that sport and eventually transition into MMA? I mean, you look at how many collegiate wrestlers there are. They don't all go to MMA. You know, a lot of athletes either get hurt injured or they find some other avenues like look and i can make a lot more money than getting slammed and having to not get ringworm and all the other shit that you know athletes in combative sports have to deal with getting my head smashed in and practice every day or running eight miles up a hill to get the conditioning going it's just like well you know what i'm getting a i'm getting a degree at college for doing volleyball and you know i like accounting that's a pretty good job i can make a lot more money doing that this volleyball thing has no legs to go to i mean there's just it has to be i mean when you look at a lot of the male fighters, a lot of them either come from, I was doing a combative sport throughout high school, and this is just a natural transition of that. Or it's just dudes like, I fucking love to fight, and if I don't do it in a cage, I do it in a jail cell, and I'd rather do it in a cage to get money. Whereas the female fighters, it's a its a really unique story where it's like, I mean, you have some people from uh, uh, Europe because you know, uh, combative sports were there. There's a little bit more female I think bleeding through with like kickboxing, We you look at uh, JoJo, when you look at Alex... Uh, uh, why am I forgetting her name? The uh, Bobby, help me out. It's your favorite girl. The one's a champion at Valentina 25. Valentina Shevchenko. Shevchenko. I mean, I think the Europeans, there is a little bit more of an on-ramp there. But then I think, like you mentioned with Steph, it's just like 145 is kind of a heavier weight class. We've seen a lot... The more natural weights that seems to be for women is kind of the 25, 15, 35... 45 you kind of get into i mean you look at cyborg too she's not built like a lot of female combatants she's fucking toned up she's been hitting the weights for a really long time building that musculature and a lot of women don't necessarily even in combat sports don't go that route i think it's a fairly new development in women women's uh, mma to really do strength and conditioning a lot of times it's just hey if you can get rounds in and you can get someone to train you that's about as good as it's going to get for you now we're starting to see that the sports developing and evolving, i think a little bit slower than uh male mma has been but we're starting to see that i think we talked about last week with um barber and why am i forgetting her name the girl at roxanne. roxanne and a lot of the story was that it was like roxanne has a strength and conditioning coach this is kind of a new thing she's getting more stronger and i think this is a new development so i think there's there still needs to be more evolution and just the social stigma of having a female join a MMA gym or a kickboxing gym or joining the wrestling team. I still think there's social pressures for them to even go there where you have to be kind of strong-willed and be like, no, I want to join the male wrestling team. And, you know, I think that takes a really strong uh, mentality and mental game to be like, and you know what? You I'm You know going what, man?
3: To- it also, it might be coming because maybe they're just not here yet. Maybe they're, it's you coming. know, 12, 13 years old. So we got to see. And... I don't know, man. Like, I don't. Her biting Julia Bud, and like, I really don't need this so for I see her fight Marlos Coonan. And Julia Bud didn't seem outsized. Because Julia Bud's large. Julia Bud is a, like a large, full grown, serious fighter. But, I mean, it took Cyborg four rounds to put her down. But, you know, we'll see. And, you know, she's been doing this a long time. She's 34 years old. We'll see what Scott Coker has because him answering questions about Gina Carano does nothing for anybody. Because I swear to God, like the somehow the belief that Gina Carano is going to leave the set of Mandalorian two to get punched in the face for the first time in twelve years or whatever. When did she? When did they fight? 2010? nine, two thousand nine, something like that. that.
0: Yeah, Pretty she's sure going she, to she's gonna come back. She's going
3: to come back in eleven years later and get punched in the face by Cyborg Santos for you know Bellator to pay her three hundred grand. Okay, all right, let's just all you know take a step back. Um, there's no fight card this weekend, but uh. Some interesting shit happened um, national media wise. I wanted to talk about it because it was kind of, I like didn't really think of it this way. Like the way this all played out, the whole Joe Rogan, Stephen A. Smith thing. And just to give people a brief summary of it. And Stephen A. Smith went on, Stephen A. Smith was on a bunch of the coverage for UFC 246. That was what it was, right? The last one, the Conor one. All right. And then like after the fight was over, he went on there and said some shit about, <clears throat> about Cowboy Cerrone be giving up. And like he should have he was trying to talk like, oh, you know, you got hit with the shoulder, you should take a step back. And he was trying to talk some stupid ass fight strategy. And um You know, and then you know, Joe Rogan said some stuff on his podcast. When Joe Rogan was just like, Look, Stephen A. Smith makes a lot of money, which is true, Stephen A. Smith makes eight million dollars a year. Doing his thing. And his thing is a shtick. He goes on TV, he talks loud, he talks, gets all people all riled up. And, um, Joe Rogan's like, it doesn't do anything for this sport to have him yell. And that in itself is an interesting conversation. We can get to that too, because Stephen A. Smith talking about something, inevitably there's more people watching. It's him providing an uninformed take. It doing anything for anybody is a whole different discussion there. But the part I found interesting was, Mark here, and this isn't me picking on you on any level. I hope you don't think it is. But Stephen A. Smith has been doing the shtick, Mike, probably what? 10, 12 years on on ESPN? Maybe? At least. At least. Shit, probably longer. And um, Mark, like many MMA fans, quite frankly, and I'd say a lot of MMA fans are like Mark, where they don't watch a lot of other sports. And so Stephen A. Smith's uh, shtick... Um, which Stefan, I think you put it as getting people, you know, working people into a shoot with his nonsense um, is getting a whole new audience where people aren't used to this man just going on TV and just talking out his asshole about stuff he just doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, And I don't know. It was kind of interesting. and But really... The thing I want to lead off with Mike and I want to go to you with this is Joe Rogan said something interesting where like and I don't know if he's you know right or wrong to say that like you coming on with your sports radio sports talk bullshit about a sport you don't know what the f- don't know what the fuck you're talking about isn't going to play and you came into this being I mean as you've been an MMA fan now for 10 years I don't know why I even put it up like at this point but like you came into a sport uh, I, that had a I, I very... Still consider, I still consider myself the casual MMA fan. Well, because before. like you came into kind of dive into being an MMA hardcore fan, and this—what did you say when this before the show started about what MMA hard, hardcore MMA fans won't put up with?
0: Uh, uh yes. Yeah, so, um, that's why. Like, I remember when we first started this podcast. Um, you know, you, Mark. Stuff you know, you guys really know all your shit about MMA. And when I remember when we first started the podcast, I used to always give like a like a disclaimer, like, "Hey, I, I'm just a common fan. I don't know too much about this
3: sport." Oh, you're one of us now, brother.
0: <laughs> but that was mainly because, you know, I didn't want to be someone who was just going to talk out of my ass as if I knew everything about a sport that I frankly did not know everything about. You know, like I remember when we even started the podcast, while I had been a fan for a few years at that point, no, I didn't exactly know what all of the freaking moves are called, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and I think MMA fans, they appreciate some type of genuine, uh, uh, sincerity in that aspect, but with Stephen A. Smith, I think what Joe Rogan had a big problem with. The first one is obviously that he said that cowboy quit, which he did, and all the man just got his fucking face broken in. Um, and that word means something part,
3: real specific in this like sport compared to other sports, too. You know, that means something yeah, means really, really specific.
0: Literally broken. He was literally broken. He had a broken nose. Mm. Um, but crap i lost my train of thought sorry Um, about that okay i remember i remember so um i think the thing that um joe rogan was talking about and the sentiment that a lot of people don't like about someone like stephen a smith or you know 10 years ago august johnson is that you know cbs and espn they're trying to cram someone down our throat as if he's an expert when Frankly, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And his comments about Donald Cerrone showed all of that in spades. Like, this is a man who's had over 50 fights his career and has been one of the toughest mother effers you will ever meet in the octagon. And after 40 seconds of watching a fight, said that he quit.
3: I mean, yeah, and it's... I know it's a sensitive fan base, and we all know this, Steph, that MMA fans are sensitive. And I can't even claim what Mark can claim of, which is like digging through shitty forums to find stuff, because I didn't get real serious about this probably until like 07, maybe? 08 is when I really got serious about MMA. I mean, but it's almost like we want to see your battle scars of being an MMA fan almost. You know what I mean? We want to see, like, tell me what it was like watching, trying to watch, like, this shitty stream or trying to, like, you know, watch a random Fox Sports one card even for eight hours or tell me about you watching
2: on a versus. You know what I mean? Like, there's a fundamental term for this. Um, It's something a lot of us do in our day-to-day lives. Um, It's got a negative connotation and there are toxic avenues about it, but it happens, right? It's called gatekeeping. Very Um, true. We all have it to some degree. Um, I've mentioned it a lot of times. Is like, you know, I was I was into a lot of nerdy things before. Those nerdy things became the highest grossing mainstream top forms. of Hey, man, how much did I gatekeep being a warrior fan about about an hour ago? You know what I mean, <laughs> yeah, happens, right? Um, but the stance I always take with things is, um, I don't ca- I-, I will never want anyone to not give that thing I love and am passionate about a chance. I just want them to do it sincerely. Um, you know what? If someone talks to me about X-Men and they get timelines and names wrong or power sets, but I I tell they genuinely like it, um I will always give them a pass. I'll be happy to, you know, share it not in like a preachy way. Um, but what MMA fans are going to be sensitive to and this goes across so many fandoms is when someone just shows up trying to have a, you know, a grandiose like, victim of the moment take like that, you know, like, he quit, you know, like, all those things, it's these reactionary takes, not just a hot take, it's it's a reactionary, it erases all context and history, except for the last five seconds, and that's just something that annoys everyone, particularly any fandom, so, you know, the the we're in a very nascent stage of mma media it's why we always felt like hey for the most part our little podcast is nearly as credible as 98 percent of all other mma media but one thing in general is that media fan base if you're going to cover the sport since it's not lucrative since it's not in the spotlight you at some level have a passion for it at some level of it you're just a fan Um, so you try to be sincere. You disagree with takes, but for the most part, people have been coming from a sincere place. Now that we're going to get into the talking head media cycle of big ESPN money, that's one of the cons to signing this deal with the devil is you're going to get these guys who showed up out of the blue. you said it, Bob, in our message. They're trying to make themselves the story with the asinine trying to get himself
3: over. That's what his gimmick is. He tries to put himself over.
2: Yeah. Um, it's going to be annoying. I mean, Marcus, I know you,
3: this sport being popular, this sport not being popular among the mainstream, you've never given the slightest fuck. And this, you know what? And like really, as people who watch this sport, this sport getting popular, the only thing that I imagine you care about is, well, shit, if more people are watching, maybe these poor bastards get paid more. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And, I mean- and like it seemed like you almost, the man was disrespecting the sport. Let's just put it on front street, right? And that was horse shit. He was disrespecting the sport and the sacrifices a man like Donald Cerrone puts into this thing, and he was being dismissive
1: of him. Wouldn't you say? Well, I mean, backtrack a little bit. I you, jumping onto the sport early before it really hit mainstream. I I always I I thought it had a lot of potential. Obviously, it connected with me, and I thought you know. Given a larger audience, given a larger scale, that this could, this sport could be a lot more than it was when I first started watching it, which was basically um, a very niche sport that you could buy DVDs from Suncoast, and that was pretty much the only way you can consume it, or go online at that time. And, and like you said, go to the really weird message boards, you know, very not popular, and there was a rabid but very passionate fan base. And you know, my my thought back then, which is always that, like, you know, if this was to be presented to the mass you know media or to the, the mass public i think it could potentially do very well and looking at japan and how much pride and k1 had kind of broken through the mainstream those were kind of my points you know obviously at this point we've seen um it may has hit mainstream it hasn't taken off to the point where i thought where it would be like a major sport where i mean i think we're kind of there but it's still kind of seen as a secondary not as big as Baseball, you know, it kind of in the in the annals of like maybe like a golf and hockey second tier kind of sport is kind of where I see it. um Ultimately, with the with the Stephen A. Smith stuff, I just find it funny because this isn't anything new. There's been a lot of people that have tried to break into MMA that haven't really done the research to really figure out the the nuance of this sport, and it's it's incredibly nuanced. Not just the technicalities of what's going on in there. It's difficult to become a fan, honestly, man. It's not easy. you got to learn a lot. You have to put time in, and uh, depending on what you're watching and who's commentating, it could be very hard to just get the basics down. You know, luckily... As I was kind of getting into it, I, and this is why I sing the praise of early pride with Stephen Quadros and Bass Rutan, I think they do a great job of onboarding people who maybe aren't super familiar with MMA, with positions, what people need to do, and stuff like that. So there, there's, there's so many aspects to this game, not just of what's going on in the octagon during a fight, but leading up to the fight, the training that goes on. And when you have a guy like Stephen A. Smith say that you know Donald Cerrone uh, gave up in this fight, there's a million times Donald Cerrone could have given up. And when people give up in MMA, it's not in the octagon. And Bobby, you know this. You try to join the wrestling team. Oh, I gave up so fucking quick. Oh, because, I gave up so fucking quick. And you have, I mean, the the rigors that these fighters have to put... I appreciate through, that, Mark. Thank you for that. <laughs> I mean, it, it is, and, and Bobby, I was the same way. You know, I was like, oh, the wrestling team will be fun. And it's like, oh, we didn't sign the papers. It's like, okay, well, you guys are going to do a five-mile run. And I was like... I, fucking, I don't do one mile. In- <laughs> yeah, I was like around mile two, and I'm like, yo, homie, I am out. Yeah, I and- am done. <laughs> and that's the physicality of, of combat sports. Uh, whether it's wrestling, kickboxing, the conditioning is, is extremely tough. So people quit before they make it to the octagon. People quit on the scale because they can't make the weight. People quit in the fight because they can't quit literally at any... There is... Anytime you want to quit in that fight, this is a sport where you can stop the fight anytime you want and say, Nope, ref, I'm done. Tapping out, this show's over. There's no other sport. I can't play nine rounds of golf. I guess I could get injured or something. And he's not talking about that shit, but you know, and, and just stop. But this is literally a sport that anytime you want to stop fighting, you have that right to stop fighting. And Donald Cerrone didn't stop fighting. He could have tapped at any point he wanted. What he what happened was he went out on his shield, and that's maybe a term that maybe Stephen A. Smith hasn't learned yet. But that's essentially that. Like, look at this dude's not recovering. He's hurt, but he's not giving up. He's going to take the punishment, and someone's got to stop the fight for him because he's not going to stop it himself. So, um, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, I just thought it was kind of. I mean, I didn't hear what he said because I don't listen to the commentary after the fights. I mean, literally, when I watch like when I watch this ESPN two or this ESPN Plus card. I fast forward to the fight. I watch the fight. Right when the fight's over, I either fast forward to the next one or I'm done watching because I I mean, he tr- he
3: tried to make some weird lateral move after he got called out, trying to say like, "Oh, we didn't learn anything about and, and, how he uh, would yeah, do it." And, you can, and I mean, and- Connor, Connor made a Connor. So he said he he said, but what what he then said was Stephen A. was like, "We didn't learn how he would do against Jorge or how he would do against Habib." Or I'm like, nothing in this fight was going to tell you either of those things, no matter what happened. But Connor said it. He, he, Connor got into this. Because Connor, at this point, is not going to let you disrespect Cowboy Cerrone. Because one, you disrespect you 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 diminish his win. let's from a selfish point of view. Two, Stephen A. Smith came at the wrong guy here to put this out to. Because for all the dumb stuff Cowboy Cerrone has said, the man's credentials inside that cage, in terms of what he's given us, can't really be questioned. And Co- Connor said. The call you discussed here is A plus, which is him saying that I'm not gonna learn you're not gonna learn from this fight, what I'm gonna do against Khabib or Jorge. I didn't show I don't show enough. I didn't show enough. I'm not paid by the hour though. Joe's comments, however, come from you saying the opposition fighter quit. Broken nose slash orbital bones say different. Fighting is vicious. Those who make the walk deserve full respect. Apologize. And Steph. We I mean
2: we've been watching this motherfucker long enough. He ain't never gonna apologize for anything. That's not part of the shtick, right? <laughs> He's not, but you know, it's funny speaking a shtick because um, Connor is a man who's full of shtick. Uh, that was all sincere. That was all yeah. honest, right there. Um, that was that was that was Connor after the fight, humble in defeat. That was that was I'll be real. I'm as a student of the game. I'm about to be real, and that was yeah. That was Connor at his most sincere, and so that was my takeaway from that. Like, but yeah, Stephen A. doesn't care about that. Um, he likes the traffic. He likes the clicks. He likes the comments telling him he doesn't know a goddamn thing because you know his name. So, yeah. Do you remember,
3: Mike, do you remember this? Because you and me had a good laugh about this. Remember the time Shannon Sharp said some dumb shit about how Nate Diaz was, like, huge and that he's too big to ever make 55, and he's lucky he made 70, and that, like, he did some sort of judo comparison in the middle there, like... like. Connor don't know what to do with Connor, with Nate's judo or something. And then he went on Twitter and was defending it for days. And about halfway through it, I was just like, I almost started enjoying it. I'm like, okay. Well, this man's just having a good time with being wrong. That's what's happening here. He knows he's wrong. You know, my man, with this sport, and I know we just none of us here are have ever fought. You know, Mark was on the wrestling team, you know. And, like, we give our opinion on how people fight. And if we tell you a guy didn't fight well, that's from a position of a people who've been watching a lot of fights. And in our honest opinion, we don't think they fought well. But to impugn their character is what Stephen A. did. And calling in a fight where you're stripped to the waist. And you're just out there, man. It's you, some shorts, some tiny-ass gloves. You ain't got no shoes on. And you're just naked in front of the world. and You know, there's no game tomorrow for, like, if you lost today, you can win tomorrow. Like, Cowboy Cerrone hasn't said a fucking word. Because Cowboy Cerrone went on national TV two weeks ago and got his ass whooped. In front of his grandma, his wife, his child. In front of millions of people, he got his ass whooped. And it's a humbling experience. And to have some clown, because that's what Stephen A. Smith is. He's a clown. You know,
0: I consider him more of a Muppet.
3: Muppet. OK, sure. He goes on TV and he's not qualified to talk about really any sport and basketball. Probably he's the most qualified because give the man his due. He was a beat reporter for the Sixers for like 10 years in the late 90s or something. And to have someone go and disrespect you like that. And I'm sure it's nice that his peers are defending him because nobody and like. The defense you'll read a lot of times with this stuff, people be like, why does he have to apologize? He just gave his opinion. And we're living in this world now where all of a sudden just because you say something, I'm supposed to give you some sort of level of pass because it's just your opinion. If you're not qualified, you're not qualified, man. And just being able to say something and say it loudly doesn't make you right. And, and just I- because people pay you a lot of money to make a lot of noise on TV— Doesn't make you right and doesn't mean you are respected or anybody should give any credence to your thing. And when you go on TV and if you're as famous as this man is, I'm getting a little serious here. If you're as famous as this man is, and if you're giving yourself all this credit for new eyes watching this sport, when you lower, when you don't provide people the proper context for what they're actually watching, you don't do anything for this sport. You know, you're supposed to, you're a sports reporter, you're a sports analyst, you're a sports commentator. You're not bigger than this. The sport is what you're talking about. And when you diminish the athletes, it does nothing for the sport. It does nothing for anybody except you. And it's a purely selfish act at that point. That's kind of went on a rant there. And I know we were having fun with this, but that's what he did. And it's not, you know. Well, I and think it's like, funny. The I, funny I, and, look, are- I, and look, I watch this show. I watch his show and I used to watch his show on the, in the morning at the gym because I like watching sports shouting because there's no consequences. Really, compared to the news. They they shot on the news and the American fabric of life has crumbled.
1: Well, I, I mean, you know, at it, the it, end of the day, I think a lot of it is just like, I, I would assume a lot of the MMA fans are kind of just like, whatever, because I mean, he, and, and he did it himself, right? He, he said all the spiel, he got all this, and then he decided. He should have picked, Coving- should have picked Covington or somebody we don't like. Well, no, I'm but then of his own volition, he was like, yo, dude, l- let me get my, uh, uh you know yoked out broke here to hit some pads with and put that online and then that we saw that so and bad. we're like well that's oh, ridiculous man. and this guy obviously doesn't know what he's saying so we can all easily like like you're saying like there's probably some MMA fans don't know who this guy is. If they saw that I'm like, oh I don't have to believe anything this guy says he doesn't <laughs> he he got a friend over they bought pads and boxing gloves they didn't think to watch a YouTube video, but like, I don't know how to throw a a left punch. And they went, you know what? I think if you throw a punch at the knees, that's pretty good. And what's the exact opposite of that? let's let's wrench that back up into a big uppercut. and let's do that times. It was times like some horrible street.
3: Like you saw you watched see, like you played Street Fighter beforehand and said,
1: "I wonder if I could try some Ryu shit." And, like, it was terrible. Yeah. So the the, and then at the second time, it's just like, all right, you know, you even say he quit or whatever. But, like, I don't think when your face is smashed in, you have a broken orbital, there's any quit anymore. Like, you're injured. Like, and I think, and, and, and to be fair, and this is something that we can all kind of speak to because we've been doing this podcast and obviously not nearly even in the same scope of, you know, eyes are on us, but we give our opinions here. And there's been plenty of times that we've been probably a little more disparaging of fighters than we should be. And I think we always come back with a caveat that, like, look at we, let, like, like Connor says, anyone that, anyone at the smallest organization, if you decide to lace up the gloves and, and walk inside of a cage and be like, yeah, I'm going to fight this dude under limited rules, I don't care if you're 380 and you never trained a day in your life, that takes balls and you get some respect for that. Now, when we're being extremely critical of these fighters and I've been critical of Cerrone saying sometimes he mentally breaks and stuff. That's just us looking at the highest level. That's not someone just saying like, Oh, you know, he just quit in the middle of fights." Like, no, like when someone mentally breaks down, it's because they're physically and mentally just broken. And that is a, a, a level of exhaustion and exertion that none of us can speak to. You know, I I've trained before I've pushed myself to the point where I'm vomiting and stuff. And it's, completely different when it's a real fight and you're, you're doing all you know that man, shit, if you but fight, also you, taking damage in, in and you're a punishment. different
3: breed man you do this thing man you're a different breed can, can i just can
2: uh chime in on um you know donald's poor uh cowboy son, He can't catch no breaks uh can we talk about mental breaking in his regard yeah, Nate Diaz was like, of course, Conor won. That's not that tough of a fight. <laughs> <laughs> like, Nate, 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 Nate. Like, yeah, Nate Nate was something he said. I don't remember. It. I don't know exactly how he phrased it, but he was like, yeah, it's easy to beat Cerrone's ass. He's like, I did it. You saw that. He's <laughs> like, I did it
3: nine years ago. What are you talking about? It was 2011 when I whooped his ass or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, it was. I just, you know, and like, I'm sure outside people are just like, well, Joe Rogan's an MMA commentator. Why do you listen to him? Joe Rogan had to show us he was credible. Joe Rogan's a goddamn kickboxing state champion. Joe Rogan smokes a mountains of weed and does weird submissions with Eddie Bravo, all right? We know Joe Rogan trains. Joe Rogan taught GSP throw a throw Joe, spin Joe again.
0: Rogan's a Joe Rogan's a black belt in Taekwondo and a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> and, um, yo, he's jo, been involved G, GSP with the went USP GSP go-
2: Yeah, GSP goes to Joe Rogan for help. Like it's it's <laughs> not even just about your background credentials. Yeah. It's 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 the reason All of us had an issue with John Jones early on, that first time he was on TV on the desk and sweating bullets and people were talking shit about him. Look, people can sniff out a phony, you know? It's not about Joe's has his background in this. He's fucking sincere. He, You may say and think he says the wrong things, but you know he's coming from a sincere place. And a lot of us, whether we knew Stephen A. or not, we could smell a bullshitter.
3: Oh yeah. yeah. Sorrony could smell the bullshitter when he was on his show. That look on Seroni's face, whenever Stephen A. Smith was talking, was just like, how much longer is this fucking show? Can this guy shut up? At least Kellerman knows about
1: boxing. Yeah. Like, fuck it, this dude. <laughs> it's just like what Steph was saying. You can smell the the fakeness and you know, you don't in and, and it that's not to say like, oh, anyone that's going to, you know, speak about MMA and try to be even have a credible voice at all has to have put in you know, three years on the mat training jujitsu, hit the pads, you know, you don't have to, you can, you can watch, you can be a student of the game and and not physically start. Act like like, you give a shit. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, I care about the football commentator has to be, you know, a all-star quarterback, but it's just, I think really what it comes is stuff like said, we can smell the phoniness and then you literally give us a piece where it's like, <laughs> here's you training, being phony at the phony thing we know you're phony at. It's just like, okay, well, that's just... I really, at I that, it was just like, well, now this is just a humorous thing. And that's it's a fun talking point. And, you know, I'm not going to take... And hopefully Cerrone doesn't either. And I mean, I think it's a, a lot tougher for him because it's easy for us as fans to be like, okay, well, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. So you don't have to take credence to anything he says. But there's a lot of people out there that don't know he's an idiot. And, gonna, and like you said, Bobby, you're going to think that he's dismirching this guy, and that's kind of messed up, but hopefully Cerrone knows, like, and I think he's thick-skinned enough to be like, I know what I do, I know who I am and what I'm putting out in the sport. This guy talking shit doesn't mean anything. People do talk you know shit just- all the time, and especially for MMA fighters, they've had to live on the internet for a long time, and that's where all the shit-talking goes all the time. And like you said, Bobby, MMA fans are very weak-minded. We are very easy to be like, this guy, he loses a fight, oh, he's bullshit, Everything he's done in his career has been invalidated. He's never fought anyone tough. All his fights have been gimmies, and he had this one tough fight, and he lost, and now he's a joke. We do that all the time, and they come back, and they're great. You know, That's just part of the ebb and flow of the sport game. You're always, you're always judged on what it's you a, did it's last. It's a
3: zero-sum game, man, with everybody. Yeah. Just because I mean, this guy's great. If this guy's going to be great, the other guy must be terrible. And you know what's interesting? If you guys want to uh, – Ben Folk's spawn pointed this out, I believe, what he said, for a company that does not take criticism well – this is interesting how this is all shakes out just because this is their broadcast partner and the biggest star on their broadcast partner is Stephen A. Smith. And this fight was not booked. This, this fight was booked to do what it was supposed to do, right, guys? Let's just not lie to ourselves here. Like, this went the
1: way the UFC booked it. Like, you know, this went the way it was supposed to. Yeah, which is and also was, makes know, his comment of like, oh, we didn't learn anything about Habib. It was like, dude, if you want to make that argument, yell at UFC brass and ESPN. Like, why would you make this fight? If Conor is going to get out there and fight Habib, he needs to be fighting possible. Nobody fights. Fa- like, nobody no. fights like Habib. That's the problem. Exactly. Like, nobody fights like this
3: motherfucker. But like, it's interesting because you got a company that does not take criticism well, and this is their broadcast partner, and they're essentially saying, "You guys booked a bullshit fight," is what they're saying. Which, I mean, I enjoyed it. It was forty knew, seconds. We, we knew what
1: we were getting into. It.
3: But we talked know. about it. We like. I, I th- we, we, we talked. we said it. We're not fucking you know psychic here, folks. We said this man. Starts slow, doesn't move his head. The other guy starts fast, is a fucking sniper with his left hand. What, what do you, what, what was the likely outcome here? It worked out. Anyway, um, let's do stuff we like. This is a long episode, but you know what? It's okay. We missed last week and we'll, we'll give you some great MMA analysis next week. And I'm a little happy that the last week's episode hit the, went in the shitter because my stuff we like kind of, didn't have the context of Mark having seen it now
1: too. You didn't, you didn't sell it strong. Me and Mike weren't falling th- on board. I got a taste now.
3: Now Mark got a taste because I said the New Day podcast is fucking hilarious, and I showed Mark a clip of them talking about their dream
1: matches and Big E of the New Day. Mark, who does he want to face? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean his whole stick. They're talking about dream matches, and I think and I think the premise was like he wants them to clone Goldberg and have two Goldbergs fight at each other. And (laughs) honestly, and I think, and this is what's always hard, Bobby, right? Anytime we say like, oh, this show's really funny. How do you convey funny to someone? Yeah, it's like, I can't like, I'm not doing the voice. Story as poorly as they do. But I mean, I think it really comes down to, you either know who these wrestlers are, the New Day, and you, and when we say that, you know how charismatic and exciting they are. And just know that like when Bobby says, oh, this podcast is really fun, it's these three guys that are just extremely... they friends. Yeah, basically. really comfortable with each other and know their sense of humor is just shooting the shit and just having a good time. And that's a fun conversation to be on the wall of. And that's why, you know, their YouTube channel is as popular as it is. And I think, you know, really when it comes to any gaming YouTube channel, it's not so much... These guys are great at video games. It's like, these guys have really fun personalities that I want to hang out with them while they play this game because they're funny and they make... Fun jokes. And I mean, shit, I,
3: guys. You got, I mean, you listen to this podcast. It can't be because we're some sort of exports, guys. You must enjoy the banter on some level. That's what I'm getting at here.
1: When you listen to any form of entertainment, you enjoy the chemistry between the participants. Yeah. And, and, and then to, to rebound off yours, Bobby, I will say you showed me maybe a 30-second clip um when you when you came up to me in the office like oh look at this clip of the new day i was like i was pretty like okay bobby bobby you you show me lots of stuff where i'm like all right whatever well what new wrestler did you get in your little wrestling game it's karate kid <laughs> this time that's great Dr. oh new- mark hates that wrestling. game <laughs> <laughs> was like, oh look who i got here who's this guy and i was like i don't know you tell me what <laughs> weird ripoff mark has no is. time for me in my game so but basically yeah. saying bar set low but In this 30-second clip, I I instantly was like, shit. uh, One, I want to see that clip again because it was really funny and I want to have a laugh again. And two, you know, now the New Day podcast might be something I throw into my rotation when I have a hole, right? When I need a podcast to fill a day, I might go to them and just see, you know, how it is. And, you know, if it sticks and it's fun, you know, maybe I'll continue to listen, maybe not. But uh, I, I would say, you know, it is hard to convey just especially when it comes to humor. Like this show's funny. How is it funny? Is it my sense of humor? Uh, but I think it really just kind of spawns on. If you know these guys, you know their kind of charisma and their sense of humor, and they're just having a great time. And it's and that's infectious. You know, when they're when Big E's talking about this dumb match with Goldberg versus Goldberg, and how everyone wants five star matches, but he just wants to see two guys slinging meat at each other for five minutes. And and dude's doubled over, like he can't get this shit out. Like there's like subtitles on the video because he's having a hard time because he's laughing so hard. It's just like that's just that's just a fun conversation to be a part of. So yeah, I, I can. I can even, without listening to a whole episode, I can partially co-sign with you, Bobby. That podcasting's fun. So yeah, the New
3: Day podcast, and you know what's nice about it? and like, which, you know, we we don't have this in our podcast. It's not, um, it's not, I guess topical would be the right word. You don't have to listen. It doesn't, there's no expiration. They're just telling stories about their career, really, and stuff they're into and what's making them laugh right now and stuff, and, uh. That's why, like you know, for all I know, they recorded all these episodes a month ago. But I was listening to one today, and they were just talking about you know doing house shows and getting yelled at by Arn Anderson, which uh, was the concept that that made me laugh. So, the New Day Pod, um, for a WWE produced product, real fucking funny, because I was expecting some watered down shit. If I'm being honest with you, and it uh it was hilarious to me. Anyway. I, that was, again, that's my stuff we like. Two weeks in a row, we didn't hear it last week. And, um, since we're talking about wrestling, if you want to watch the Undisputed Era versus Imperium from Saturday, it was really good, especially for a match where one of the guys got hurt in real, like, got knocked unconscious, and they had to improvise. And Stefan knows how much I love Walter, and Walter's the best, so... That's what I got this week. Stefan, what do you got?
2: <laughs> um, I got two things. One, I'm not sure if I like, but I did binge it. So I may as well just mention it. Um, I watched that Netflix Aaron Hernandez thing. I heard that is fucked up. That was yeah, rough. That
0: was, that was really good.
2: That was, that. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's obviously of a quality, but three episodes of that, man, that was rough known. Um, for those who that name vaguely familiar... Uh, he was the tight end, one of the tight ends the New England Patriots drafted right in the middle of their epic dynasty run did win a Super Bowl with them um but yeah, it turns out he killed his brother in law and in all likelihood he's uh guilty of another two murders um from a couple years prior to that that they um yeah, there's a lot of fucked up things in his childhood. they have a lot they have the audio recordings of calls he made in jail with his um were they fiance. I don't think they were actually properly married. I,
3: I believe it was a fiance. The fiance, mother
2: yeah. of his children uh, with his mom, with his cousin, just the, the nearest and dearest to him. And kind of when you have the context of the big picture and you're just hearing those conversations. I mean, yeah, if you're into these true crime things, like it's well-made, but it, it was dark. It, it was tough. Um, yeah, so maybe check that out. I mean, I watched the three episodes. It's three episodes. I watched them straight um something i can give a glowing review to uh we're right in that oscar season um one of the movies i had yet to see uh this is the most best pictures i've ever seen in a given year um 2019 really was a great year for movies um but one i hadn't gotten to that i got a chance to catch this weekend was 1917 um that one looked fun yeah um it's got uh, a new blood actor and uh the guy that the kid that was formerly king tommen of game of thrones um, well. Wow, really? Huh. Yeah, so uh, we start with these two soldiers. Um, King Tommen's brother is in another company, and they need to be delivered a message that they got to call off this attack, or a platoon of 16,000 are walking right into a German trap. Um, it's very low on the story. It's such a base premise, but um, the technical prowess of this movie, it's essentially a thrill ride. I've seen it compared to a video game. It's essentially shot to be look like the whole movie is one shot. It is yeah. just this constant camera of them. What yeah. I
1: wanted to ask, Steph, so are there no time jumps in it? Because that always seemed like it'd be kind of weird. Is it like continuous? Like this is happening in an hour and thirty minutes from here's your orders, and now you're doing the mission, and we're just watching every step they're taking. Well, so that's the thing is, it's shot to look like a one shot, but
2: obviously it isn't. It'd be impossible to film a movie like this in a one shot. Um, so you essentially that's you just have all this, this tracking camera, but it goes from morning to night. To morning again, um, okay the movie okay. obviously isn't that long. They do little tricks here and there where they like cut across a tree, and now it's nightfall gotcha. now, right yeah you see him floating down the river, and shot
1: now in like because they do it in God of War, but that's a long mm-hmm. game, and they don't change time or anything, so I was yeah. just like, okay, is it one shot and it like because it looks like this. There's one scene where it's the sun's up, and there's one scene where the sun's down, and now I'm confused. So, okay, that makes sense, though. Yeah, did, so, it's, so it's there's definitely
2: camera tricks. camera tricks. It's not a true, true one-shot. But, I mean, just that moving, tracking camera kind of creates it. And what the movie lacks in dialogue and necessary story or exposition, it just is amazing from a technical standpoint. It just creates a source of tension. Like, you're essentially on this journey with them. You have that kind of back third-person perspective you get in a lot of action video games, and there's always just kind of this sense of impending doom and an impending dread of can these soldiers even deliver... can they deliver the message in time? Can they even get there? Like, it's not... you know, they have to basically go across... you start in in an English bunker, and their goal is to make it across the no-man's land between the German bunker to deliver this message to this other battalion, Um, and yeah, it's just... It's kind of like a roller coaster type movie. I'm um, not the same this, genre, but this like is Sam Mendes, right? Sam Mendes, uh, I Dude, think he, he made Skyfall. Is well, that he also, the, I mean,
3: Sam Mendes making a war movie. I mean, nev- I've never served or know what it's like, but he made. I mean, he directed Jarhead, and yeah. I remember thinking this shit's raw. Like this motherfucker knows how to shoot this in a way that I'm like there. Like wow, <laughs> yeah,
2: like it. This movie absolutely should sweep all the technical awards. I think it's absolutely worthy as a best picture nominee. Um, I loved it, but I will say if it wins Best Picture, I'm gonna feel like it's a little cheap because um, old time war movie is such Oscar bait. Um, in a year of really great movies in so many categories, I'd like to see a diversity pick win. Um, there were a lot kind of new, more groundbreaking. Did, did
3: Sandler's movies not get nominated? No, I didn't. Movie
2: yeah, I Gems still, got completely left out.
3: I still want to see that movie. It seems fucking compelling. I would. I want to see that. <laughs>
2: I hear a lot of things, but then I hear other things where, like, in the premise, it sounds Well, I've heard the guys, the
3: brothers who made this movie made another movie with Robert Pattinson called Good Time that I heard was fucking bonkers, too. Like, these guys know how to shoot a weird goddamn movie, basically, is my understanding. Like, they know what they're doing.
2: I don't know. I I mean... Anyways, see it. Um, I just recommend seeing it. It's a movie that has to be experienced, and you can't just talk about it yeah um mike what do you got this week
0: uh for me this week it's a nostalgic uh stuff we like uh the year was 1998 and it was the first basketball game i had ever purchased for the n64
3: oh yes <laughs> i remember that go ahead sorry
0: <laughs> uh so the stuff i like this week is kobe bryant and nba courtside
2: Steph, do you remember
3: you could get a technical foul? Do you remember you could get a technical foul? Holding the onto the rim. That's the
2: only thing I want to mention about this game is if you held the Y button, you would hang onto the rim until you got a technical foul, which results in the other team getting a free throw. There was no benefit. There was. Oh, you got. You didn't. You got. You never got ejected. There either. was no. There was nothing. There was the mechanism could never assist you in any way it's just like i just want to do this and get a penalty against my team like it was such a weird you you never got enough
3: technicals to get ejected i remember i like you know you play a game and you're got a big lead i'm like i'm holding on to the rim on every fucking shot every one of these points (laughs) every one of these dunks is worth one point net all right that's what's gonna happen here this other team is shooting 40 free throws that game wasn't good but that part was awesome that was the best part of the game Got N64, no, 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 the game minute, was not took, good. I just wanted to give t- it that totally did the n Did n 64 ever
2: have a good basketball game, honestly? Sorry to impede on Mike, but since you just brought up a basketball game, it just reminded me of a story I read this week. Did any of you see the story about the basketball league in North Korea and how it has different rules? I did not. So a now? slam hook is worth three points. If you miss a free throw, you lose a point. Oh, man, we got it right. the last two minutes... <laughs> the points can increase up to five points where a half-court shot can be worth six. It oh, It's like fucking rock and jock. The rules <laughs> and scoring system changes throughout the course of the game. And I'm like, you know what? There's a lot of bad things you can say about North Korea, but this alternative rules basketball league sounds fun. Do you remember, and anybody who watched wrestling in the late 90s, early
3: 2000s, know this: the, just the tons of terrible TV shows that would come on after Monday Night Raw. Do you remember Slam Ball? The Trampoline Basketball League, which I remember we talk about it, Steph, like we wanted to do it, but we also
2: wanted our ACLs to remain intact. I mean, yeah, it seems fun in theory. (laughs) We have a bunch of trampolines built in random areas of this hardwood court. Um, But then, yeah, after the first season where you saw how many like crippling knee injuries there were, (laughs) uh, (laughs) because apparently launching off of a trampoline that can send you 15 feet in the air isn't great if you don't also land on said trampoline. Um, if you just and Mike, did you ever watch this? This was the best. I, I did not know. Oh,
3: Mike, you got to get it on YouTube. Awesome, you got They They hired real basketball coaches like uh, Coach Carter. The real Coach Carter was coaching a team. All right. It was called Slam Ball. And like you could jump from different places and like the dunks. you should jump from the three point line. And there was like due to had special moves.
2: There was like, like an enforcer guy who was like a goalie. Where he just chilled on the trampoline, <laughs> ready to get that high bounce to goaltend the shit out of you. Because there was oh, no goaltending. That was the best thing they ever put on after Monday Night Raw. It got canceled, of
3: course, but God, I loved Slam Ball. Anyway, yeah, N64 are terrible basketball games. They never got a good one, did they? I'm trying to think. Like, Well, to be fair, never there
0: was had, no never good had a, basketball never game until today. They never had 2K and they never had live, so
2: no. Live
3: was the fucking worst.
2: Every series. basketball made... game was bad until the Sega Dreamcast. Okay, I That's will argue that
3: NBA Shootout '97 was the reason I bought a PlayStation.
0: I don't know, All man. <laughs> uh, double dribble for the Nintendo was pretty good.
3: I liked uh, Give and Go for Super Nintendo. That was the one where you had the camera from behind. I remember, and I just got really good at alley oops. I remember you said the time there, it well. There was okay, also for
0: Nintendo
2: Realist, uh, Jordan realistic. versus Bird.
3: I was going to say NBA Jams out there, too, but yeah.
2: Realistic Sims, let's call that. Because, yeah, the, the NBA Jams, arcade ones were fun. What's that game where Jordan had an ice basketball and a fire basketball? Windy that was City. Super Nintendo. Windy City Mayhem or something, right? Oh, was God. it something like that? <laughs> I mean, sure. Was Shaq Fu
3: a b- basketball game? Because he could pitch a basketball and a motherfucker's Yeah, he threw game, them at you? people. <laughs> yeah. That was the hardest game ever. So I, oh god, I was getting murdered in Shaq Fu all the time. I remember god,
2: that that sitcom, uh, Fresh Off the Boat. I remember it really hit home for me when they did the episode about Shaq Fu. About how everyone <laughs> was, was like, so excited about it, and then I'm like, I'm like, man, they're making a big deal at it. And then the, the whole episode ends with how they're all so disappointed with it being the hardest, worst game ever made. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how it went.
3: That game like, has had 93. a couple moments. Yeah. That game, had a, that movie, I show had a couple moments where I'm like, that was that was life, man. I remember that shit. Um, all right, Marcus, uh, what do you got? Yeah,
1: let me keep it short. Uh, I didn't mention it the week it came out. I mentioned it last week, but uh, uh, I need to reiterate that uh, Dragon Ball Z Kakarot came out uh, for PS4, Xbox, PC. Um, I've been playing through it, and I've really been enjoying it. I mentioned last week that, you know, while I was watching Dragon Ball when we were in high school and, you know, Toonami was slowly drip-feeding the episodes, Uh, I would have killed for a game like this. I very much was looking forward to them making a RPG-like game based off the Dragon Ball series. You know, decades removed now. The game itself is, you know, especially considered by today's standards with, like, the action, uh, open-world RPG genre, um, is lacking in many departments Um, and is not quite of, you know, top-tier quality. That you're used to when you look at other games like um, Horizon Zero Dawn, Days Gone, um, and stuff like that. So, But in and of itself, as someone that really likes Dragon Ball and is not completely burnt out, going through that storyline in a video game. This has been extremely enjoyable. It's the best retelling of the Dragon Ball Z story um, that I played in video game form. And like I mentioned last week, is almost a better way to consume this content than actually watching the complete anime just because the anime is quite long. It is nine seasons. Uh, so there's lots of content to go through. It's many, many hours where this game looks like it clocks in around 30. I put a little over 10 in and I'm starting to wrap up the uh, Namek uh, Frieza saga. And I, yeah, I've been really enjoying it. It's been really fun playing through and just remembering like, oh yeah, um, there's all these weird Namek's. There's the, the storyline that goes on throughout this is a lot more in depth than what I remember playing through in other video games because they tend to shorten it to really just the big fights. And there's lots of nuance going on here throughout the um story so i've really been enjoying it i think if you're a dragon ball fan and you like video games uh, and you're not completely burnt out on kind of replaying the same storyline i think it's really worth checking out you know there's a lot of meat on the bones Um, at the same time it's also a game that i if you're not willing to part these 65 bucks full price for this game uh, I recommend it more and more as it goes on sale when this game starts hitting the 40 and $30 price point. Uh, I think it's a steal at that point. I think you're still getting a good bargain for your buck right now. It's an extremely enjoyable game that really does a great job retelling that story and even giving you some new kind of insights to that world and kind of letting you play around in it. So yeah, I've been really enjoying it. I definitely recommend it. Um, there's not a ton of new games coming out right now. The uh first quarter looked stacked coming into twenty twenty and a lot of things have gotten delayed out. So, you know, if your play card is looking a little full, you could do worse than Dragon Ball Kakarot. Rock.
3: And Steam World Dig and Steam World Dig 2 are on sale. They always are perpetually. I'm just telling you, you could do worse than playing Steam World Dig. Perfect games. It it, it it made me very happy. Um and with this, the Super Bowl is this Sunday. Oh yeah, football. Uh yeah, those of you who are Chiefs fans okay those of you who are niner fans let's just get this one guys oh niner's on this one let's just let's just be done with this league let us get this one let me just have this guys come on <laughs> i know we've had a lot of parades but i can be done with like pro sports in like every league for a while oh, <laughs> come we can on, just man. wrap you, this we
0: got more than enough championships under
3: your belt i know man but football makes me feel dirty more than any other league and just give me this one. And I got so drunk last time we were in the Super Bowl. Cause we were getting crushed and I got drunk. And then the game got close. And then we lost at the last minute and I got drunk again. Real demoralizing stuff. Um, go Niners. Um, go Jimmy G. Go Eric Armstead. Go D Ford. Go Buckner. Go, I'm just gonna start naming defensive players that aren't. Well, we had the, the people's tight end. The People's Tight End, George Kittle. The People, George. I saw some shit on Fox where it said his favorite wrestler was Seth Rollins, and I think I told Steph on him. Like, we both know the answer to that's Pentagon. That's some horse shit. It's
2: WWE shills on Fox. Has Richard Sherman said some shit about a uh, social issue yet?
3: No, he talked about Kobe being friends with Kobe Bryant, though. No, I was just reading. I was just reading. That We've right all been made because... somber. Yeah. Um. So leave with this, man um enjoy the super bowl be watching with your friends if you're not watching you know enjoy your weekend um but if you're watching super bowl even with your friends just you know be happy that you're here and i know we don't talk about a lot of serious stuff on this podcast but it was a lot of it was a lot of time for self-reflection this weekend because life just happens man and it's not fair and you know what we hope we're all here tomorrow but you don't know So if there's something you want to say to somebody and just say it, you know, and we all do this, we're all friends and we're happy, I'm happy to talk to the guys every Monday and I'm hope we're talking, I'm hope we're talking next Monday and I'm hope we're talking the Monday after that. And then eventually when we're sick of this, we're going to stop, but I hope we're still talking, even if it's not on a podcast, you know, um, enjoy the game, uh, play some Dragon Ball, listen to the New Day pod, watch 1917 and if you're looking for a way to play Kobe Bryant's basketball for N64, uh, Project 64 is a pretty good emulator, right, Mike? I, I have no idea how
1: you'd be able to play that game. You could support your local game shop too, Bobby. Yeah. They need the money. They're draining. I don't right know. Now.
3: Can you can you buy that anywhere?
1: Don't go to game yes, stop. your local stop. your your local mom and pop store that does use or a pawn shop. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know where this place is that speak, Mark's speaking of, but That's if Phoenix not... Games right in Concord, baby. Right up the street from where you are.
3: I think I own Kobe Bryant's
1: New <laughs> court site. I just got to find the
3: 64 itself. <laughs> but if you're looking for an emulator, Project 64. Get your Kobe Bryant on.
1: So.
3: Yeah. Um, and uh, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate you guys listening every week. We do this for fun. It was another year of deficit spending in 2019. I sent the boys the bill. All
1: right, <laughs> so, know. come on. Let's wrap it up right here. Mark wants to eat dinner. That's
3: it. That's it. <laughs> see you all next week. I was Dr. Law. That was Kid Presentable. That was DJ Mark. And that was Lavender Gooms. Peace out. See ya. See ya. Go Niners. <laughs>